Welcome to this sermon from Silver Lake Baptist Church. Our mission is to celebrate the greatness of God with all we are for the joy, hope, and renewal of our community. We are so glad you have chosen to listen to our message. We pray you will be blessed by your time with us today. Why, why do people come to church? According to a Pew survey last year, here's the, a list of the top nine reasons people do not go to church. Okay. Number one, they practice their faith in other ways, 37%. Two, they are not believers, 28%. Number three, no reason is very important. I kind of take that to mean, eh, meh, 26%. They haven't found a house of worship they like, 23%. They don't like the sermons, ouch, 18%. They don't feel welcome, 14%. They don't have the time. Poor health or mobility, that might be valid. I don't know about the others. <laughs> and number nine, no house of worship in their area. So they also compiled a list of the top 10 very important reasons Americans said that they do go to church. Reasons people do come to church. Number one, to become closer to God, 81%. So their children will have a moral foundation, 69%. To become a better person, 68%. For comfort in times of trouble or sorrow, 66%. They find the sermons valuable, 59%. (laughs) (laughs) To be be part of a faith community, 57%. To continue their family's religious traditions, 37%. They feel obligated to go, 31%. To meet new people or socialize, 19%. And number 10, to please their family, spouse, or partner. Uh, are these really good reasons? I'm going to leave that up to you to decide. So let me ask you a question. Why do you come to church? As a church, we've stated that our mission is to celebrate the greatness of God with all we are for the joy, hope, and renewal of our community. And that's certainly our goal. But think about it for a minute. What is the reason that you, yourself, come to church? In fact, now I'm going to go from preaching to meddling. Why did you come to church this morning? Right, that's getting right down to it. And as you consider that, I'm going to pray. Father, I pray this morning that you would speak to me, speak through me by your Holy Spirit and open the ears of people to hear what you want them to. We want you to be glorified and honored. Um, I thank you that you love us and care for us. And speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's been more than a month since Pastor Chuck taught from the book of Acts. And we're going to continue that. Will and I are going to continue going through Acts because we feel like it's a really uh, valuable thing to do. And our guest speakers, they're going to speak about what they want to, but we'll go through Acts. So I want to do a quick review, though, of the first part of Acts 10. In verses, the first six verses, Cornelius the centurion has a vision. Remember that? 
Cornelius was a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, gave alms to the Jewish community and prayed to God continually. Sounds like a good guy. He saw a vision, in a vision, an angel of God, got his attention, told him to stop being afraid, and then said, dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. So he does that, and he does it right away. He promptly obeyed and, and sent men to Joppa. And in meanwhile, in Joppa, verse 9, Peter, has a, Peter has, has a vision. He went up on the housetop to pray, but he fell into a trance, and he saw the sky opened up, and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground, and there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. A voice came to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. And I think Chuck pointed out that telling the Lord by no means is probably not the best choice. But, you know, he, he thought he was doing the right thing. A voice came to him a second time and said, and here's the... Here's the main thing. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. Or in other words, stop considering what God has cleansed unholy. Okay, so and if you haven't turned, that, so that's the review from, it's been a mo- over a month. If you haven't already, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. And we're going to start at verse 17. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked for directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate, or stood at the gate. And calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. It it's, might sound funny that they were standing at the gate, but in... Uh, in 1999, I went on a short-term mission trip to Campo Grande, Brazil. It's a large city, but it's kind of in the middle of Brazil, and, or just there for a couple of weeks. We stayed with families from a small church in a barrio outside of the town. A barrio's, um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't call it a slum, but it's, uh, it's a low-income uh, low <laughs> kind of place. Um, each house had a wall around it, though. You know, the gate in front. And when, you would, when we would go visit someone's house, we'd stand outside the gate and clap. That's, that was their version of a doorbell. And I think part of that was due to the fact that also inside that wall, they had a dog. And this was their alarm system. Or if they, if they were more wealthy, they had dogs that would probably bite you if you <laughs> snuck into the... But uh, the dog would, the clap would set the dog off. The dog would alert the people that somebody was there. But going inside the gate was like going into the house, but even though it was technically outside, it's, it's a warm place, so they spent a lot of time outside. So this is what I picture the men sent by Cornelius standing at the gate. That's, that's what I'm picturing, that they're out, you know, at the house, but just outside at the gate. So one thing I want to pick, one thing I want to point out in all of this in this whole passage that we're looking at today is um, something called parallel narrative. Two, it's where two storylines are happening simultaneously. In this case, got Cornelius 
one involving Cornelius and one involving Peter. And notice how many times we use the words while and as. But we see, we see this parallel narrative kind of stuff all the time in movies and books to where I think we don't even think of it anymore. Even, you know, back Charles Dickens was really good at this. He would have a bunch of these things going on at once. Um, but today, movies like Finding Nemo, right? Nemo gets separated from his dad, and they have their own adventures until they get back together in, a, in the timeline. Um, but authors and directors use this device to make the plot more interesting. It's not just a single-threaded thing. Not all movies are like that, but... Um, two or more plot lines emerge and become part of the greater plot of the story. So I give the example of Nemo. Another one is in Star Wars. You probably know the story where two main characters at the, at the beginning, they don't even know each, that each other exists. But it turns out, we find out later, they're twins. They're brother and sister. I won't give away more than that, but... <laughs> there might be other things, too. But, but something more than that is happening here. While those authors and directors are creating works of fiction to entertain, here, in these, in these verses, God is at work in the lives of real people to bring them together in a way that none of them could have thought possible, as we're going to see. Like we read this morning in Sunday school, we believe that God the Father infallibly foreknows all that shall come to pass, that he concerns himself mercifully in the affairs of men, that he hears and answers prayer, and that he saves from sin and death all who come to him through Jesus Christ. So that's my first point this morning. God's timing is perfect. Here's an example of how difficult this kind of thing is for us in real life. In, in a movie or a book, it's easy. You can just change it around. But in real life, what's the hardest part of making a, a big dinner? Isn't it getting everything ready, making sure everything is ready at the same time. That's the kind of thing we're talking about. But to God, this, these, this is, since he sees the whole thing, this kind of thing is easy. And, and you know, he is still doing this kind of stuff today. He's working in multiple lives at the same time on a scale that's incomprehensible to us. He's working in each of, each of the lives of billions of humans on earth with myriads of crisscrossing timelines. And these are in the lives of both believers and non-believers. Okay. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. He loves us. He cares about the details of our lives. In Acts 10, verse 19... While Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, there's the while again, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you, but get up, go downstairs and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. It reminds me of a verse that we saw a few weeks ago where the Holy Spirit was speaking to Philip in Acts 8.29. The Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. But it's an example of how the Holy Spirit works in the lives of believers. The Holy Spirit came to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, to regenerate, sanctify, and empower all who believe in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit indwells every believer in Christ, and he is an abiding 
helper, teacher, and guide. So, going back to the verse, the Spirit says to him, get up and go downstairs and accompany them without misgivings. Why might Peter have had misgivings about going with some Gentiles and a soldier? Maybe they were there to haul him away of prison. Or, but that's not, that's not why they were there. And he says this, for I have sent them myself. That's my second point. Trusting God will calm our fears. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And as a result, the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 21 Peter went down to the men, he obeyed promptly, which is the best way, and said, Behold, I'm the one you are looking for. What is the reason for which you have come? They said, Cornelius a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you, to come to his house and hear a message from you. So this we got this brief resume of Cornelius, just like the one, very similar to the one back in verses 1 and 2. And they follow it up with an invitation. Think about this. Peter, a Jew going into the house of a Gentile, the house of a Gentile was almost certain to be ritually unclean. Most Jews considered Gentiles themselves unclean. But the Holy Spirit had just told Peter to accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. It seems like Peter's vision was starting to make sense to him. Because, verse 23, so he, Peter, invited them in and gave them lodging. Remember that Peter was staying with Simon the Tanner. What's a tanner? Tanning is working with the hides of dead animals, something that would render the tanner ceremonially unclean. Yet Peter was staying with him, something most practicing Jews would find distasteful or even sinful. And now he's inviting these Gentiles to stay there too. It's scandalous! But, but he's obeying. 1 Peter 4.9, be hospitable to one another without complaint. I guess Peter learned that. He wrote it later. Back to verse 23. And on the next day he got up and went away with them. And some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. It's about a 30-mile trip from Joppa to Caesarea, where Cornelius was. On the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them, and had called together his relatives and close friends. So this guy was a centurion, a Roman centurion. But he was eagerly awaiting, anticipating what God had to say through Peter. And had called together a bunch of his friends and family to hear it too. Verse 25, When Peter answered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter raised him up saying, Stand up, I too am just a man. Seems like it's easy for people to be confused about what they should worship. I'll read a little section of text from later in Acts, talking about Paul. Acts 14, uh, verse 11, when the crowds saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice, saying in the Laconian language, The gods have become men and have come down to us. And they, became, they began calling Barnabas Zeus 
and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature nature as you, and preach the gospel to you, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. It's an example of people getting confused about who they should worship and the the right response. Later, uh, this is in Revelation, uh, Revelation 22, verse 8. Another example, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. That's the third point. God deserves all the credit for his plans. And in place of credit, we can, we can also say glory or worship. And his, clan, his plans include what he's done already because they, were, they used to be his plans. Now they've happened, right? So worship God. God deserves all the worship for everything that happens. God deserves all the credit for his plans. These days, we don't usually see people fall at other people's feet, except maybe at rock concerts or major sporting events. (laughs) But the things we spend most of our time and money on are clues about what we're really worshiping. I don't think we're better than these biblical characters that lived long ago. I think that we're just less obvious. Peter did have the right response. Verse 27, as he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. So I ask for what reason you have sent for me. So you see, Peter now understands the vision. It's not about eating food, but about overcoming racial barriers and preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And he is humbly saying that he's been wrong about this until now. God is in the business of overcoming racial barriers. In John chapter 4, verse 9, it says... Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, said to Jesus, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. See, Jesus was already um, overcoming racial barriers. Ephesians 3, verse 6, To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So I'd like to say that almost none of us would be here at this place today if Peter or Cornelius hadn't been obedient back then. But I think if that really were the case, that God would have found another way to spread the gospel outside of the Jewish community. He certainly accomplished his tasks throughout history through both willing and unwilling channels. 
So verse 30, Cornelius said, answered Peter, four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, about 3 p.m. And behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon, the tanner by the sea. You've probably noticed there's a lot of repetition. Peter repeats what has happened. The messengers repeat what has happened. Cornelius repeats what has happened. But whenever you see things repeated in the Bible, it's a clue that they're important. Here, it was clear to everyone at that meeting that God had orchestrated this whole sequence of events to bring Peter's message, the gospel, to them that day. So that's my fourth point. Obedience, even in small things, is the best way to be part of God's plan. It's so easy to justify ourselves that our favorite sin is small and doesn't really matter. We're experts at self-justification. We tell ourselves things like, I deserve this, or I'm in a hurry, or I'll exercise later. (laughs) The truth is that God sees us in our disobedience and knows what part of his plan we'll miss by putting ourselves first, not giving him the credit, the glory he deserves. But he loves us in spite of our faults. God, I pray that you'd help us to really put you first. And finally, in verse 33, Cornelius is still speaking. So I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here, present before God, to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Somebody said, never had a preacher of the gospel a more promising audience. And we'll hear that message in a couple weeks when Will comes to share it with us. So why did you come to church this morning? To sing some songs? To have some fellowship? To hear Pastor Chuck? Oh, I'm sorry about that. (laughs) Did you come to hear Timothy, who we heard last week, or James, that we'll hear next week, or, or Will? Or me? Or are you present before God to hear all that he's wanting to tell you? Let's pray. Father, our hearts, our hearts are desperately wicked, but we thank you for your spirit that guides us in the paths of righteousness. I pray that um, we would follow your guidance. We would do the things that you want us to. We, we would be obedient um, we eagerly look for what you're trying to tell us and, and then to do it. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, check out our website at www.silverlakebaptist.org.